Okay, so um, let's start. Have you ever paid with a bill, fifty, hundred dollar bill, when you get to a store? Have you ever done that before? Well, if you've done, what is it they do at a store when they when they see a fifty dollar bill, right? Yeah, fifty, a hundred. What do they do when they see a bill when you go and pay something? Raise your hand. Yes. They look at it to see if it's fake. They look at it to see if it's fake or not, if it's counterfeit or not. Believe it or not, some bills are counterfeit. So what are some things that you know that cashiers do to make sure that this is a legit dollar bill? Yes. Do they scratch their face because they've got Scratch a face, texture on the face. What else? They bite it. I don't know. I've never seen they bite it. Bit some, but yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yes. They put it up to the light. Up to the light, right? And what are they looking for in the light? The lines. They're just lying over here. That you can see when it's put into the light to see if it's, and then on the, on the line is writing. Now, there's one more that you guys haven't mentioned that is pretty cool. I don't know if you knew. Not burning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, compare it, texture with another bill, yes. A scanner sometimes, yes. There's red blue fibers that are implanted into the paper so you can know whether it's fake or not. Good. Yes? They have these uh, numbers hidden on the bill. That's that too, and? Can you hold it up to a black light and things will show up? Yes, when you hold it to a black light, it'll actually turn a color. So for a $5 bill, it is it glows blue, a $10 bill glows orange, a $20 bill glows green, a $50 bill glows yellow, and a $100 bill glows red. So, why am I saying this? Just as there are many ways to validate the authenticity of dollar bills, miracles in the Bible provide the same function. They serve a larger purpose in God's redemptive plan, testifying to the authenticity of the messenger of God. So in other words, when God sends his messenger, one of the ways that people know this person is sent from God is through signs and wonders that that person does. And if we go through the Bible, we start with, Moses, right? He was chosen by God. Did he do a lot of miracles, signs, and wonders? Yes. And the people followed him, right? Because they knew that he was sent by God. Yes? What about Elijah? Right? Elijah. Right? Fire from heaven. I don't know about you, but that's pretty miraculous. Right? So, today, we're going to talk about, and we're going to... Uh, leave off. We're going to start where we left off with Brandon last week. And let's turn our Bibles to Matthew 4, verse 23. And what right now what we're going to see is the miracles that Jesus performed validated him as a messenger of God, but most importantly, validated his message. Okay, we're going to look both at both today. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 23. Says this. And he went through, Jesus was going throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom 
and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Let's continue. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are, those, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So it's a lot to unpack, okay? But it's a great message that we're going to look at today. So to give you an idea, I don't know if you can see it well, I'm, I divided this lesson into two parts. The first part is going to talk about Jesus' ministry in Galilee, which is verses 23 to 24. And the theme for those verses is Jesus' ministry grew as he preached the gospel and performed miracles. And those verses have three different sections that we're going to look at. We're going to look at the location of Jesus' ministry in Galilee, the message that he was proclaiming, and the confirmation. Verses 23 to 25. Now we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to go into the first recorded sermon in the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus is giving this sermon, right, on the mount, and it's called the Beatitudes, right? And basically the theme for this section is eight qualities of a true kingdom citizen and the resulting blessing from God. We're going to look at that. And it's basically two sections. The setting, when he starts to preach this sermon, and the actual eight qualities of a true kingdom citizen that we're going to mention today. All right? So, bear with me. Um, and let's begin. But before we begin, I want to look at the context, right? It's very important that we understand the intent of Matthew writing this letter. What is the theme for Matthew? Jesus as king. That is a theme for Matthew. Matthew is trying to write to his audience, to the Jews that he was writing to, telling them, guys, listen up. Jesus is king. And let me explain and let me show you why. And this is his letter to his audience, right? But also, the Holy Spirit, right, can also teach us today in 2021 principles of these passages. And the same sermon that Jesus preached to those in 2000, 
in 21 BC or 2021 years ago is the same sermon that can be applied to our lives today in 2021. And that's the great thing of the Word of God. That it's, it's true yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So, and, I, and this is important because, remember, Matthew is trying to convince his audience that Jesus is king, okay? So, part one, ministry in Galilee. The location, okay? Jesus was going throughout all Galilee. Okay, so if you look at the map, Galilee is the red. I don't know if we can turn off the light for a little, a little bit so we can maybe see it better here. So Israel, all of this, Galilee is this area over here. Now, according to Josephus, which was a Jewish historian, Galilee had about 204 cities. And each city had no more than 15,000 people. So when he's saying Jesus was going throughout Galilee, he's going throughout all these er the area in red. Okay? And he's preaching. And he's teaching. And we're going to later find out that Syria, people from Syria, from north, are also coming. People from the Decapolis are coming people from beyond the Jordan which is Perea are coming and people from Jerusalem which is around here and Judea are all going to Galilee to hear Jesus okay second part is the message what is the message that Jesus is do is teaching well he's teaching in the synagogues right and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So, a thing about the synagogues that you have to know is that for the Jews, the holiest place was the temple. But it was so far away for many of them that they to, you, to uh, gather, to read about the Torah and the word, they created these synagogues. And that's where they would teach. Okay, So, in these synagogues is where Jesus taught. right? And it's custom... In the 204 cities that are in Galilee, every time there's a visitor that comes to a synagogue, it's usually they are allowed to read or do some sort of teaching. And that's how Jesus was able to teach in these synagogues because of the tradition that they had. And what was he saying? What was he saying? The message. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. That is his message. Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. What does gospel mean? Good news. Good news. What good news is Christ proclaiming? That the kingdom has arrived through him. The kingdom has arrived through him. Now this term is interchangeable throughout the Gospels. You're going to see it's called the Gospel of Christ, the Gospel of God, or just simply the Gospel. But this is the main message that Christ is preaching. Repent and believe because the kingdom is at hand. Remember we talked about John the Baptist, what he was saying, right? So, but in keeping with Matthew, as he's writing this letter, he's calling it what? The, proclaiming the gospel of what? Why would he say the gospel of the kingdom? 
What's, what's the theme of Matthew? So what is he trying to do to it with his audience? Who is he writing his letter to so they can do what? View Jesus as the Messiah that they've been waiting for for a long time. Right? He's saying, guys, the Messiah that you've been waiting for, the one that we've read about in Isaiah, it's Jesus. And let me tell you why. So, why is the gospel so good news, guys? Why is this? Why is the gospel good news? Why is it good news? Fox? Because who wouldn't want to go to a perfect place where there's no sin? Okay. Yes. Right? But the, the purpose of the good news is that he's saying, on your own, you think by following the law you're going to get there. That's not going to happen. Because as we're going to see in, in this Beatitude sermon, it's basically impossible for all those qualities for someone on their own to do it. Can't be. Right? But the good news is that it's forgiveness and restoration of God as opposed to the bad news of the impossibility of law keeping. Then we move on to the confirmation. The confirmation says here, and healing every, so let me read verse 23. Jesus was go, going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And what was he doing? And healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria. And they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Yes. What's an epileptic? I'm going to get there in a second. Okay. That's a good question. So why is this a confirmation? All right. The healings of various diseases among the people further attest the kingdom's presence and advance. His miracles were kind of like the credentials of the king, right? He came and he healed. It was, an, it was evidence of his messiahship. Now, don't, get it, don't, don't, don't misunderstand. His words were enough. Jesus' words were enough because even before he started doing miracles, Peter and John followed him without ever seeing a miracle. Just the words that he spoke were powerful enough. But in his grace, he still allowed miracles to authenticate and to show the Jews that he was a messenger of God. This is what MacArthur states. Like Jesus' words, the miracles were a foretaste of his glorious earthly kingdom. To get some idea of what the millennial kingdom will be like, we know need to multiply his words and his miracles 10,000 fold. That's the kingdom where he comes and reigns for a thousand years. That's what we hope for as believers, the day he comes back. This is the, the life that we will live, glorified in his presence, seeing all these things. Now, there are three terms that, um, that Matthew uses to characterize the three broad areas of man's afflictions. So the spiritual affliction, 
right? People who had demons were brought to him so he could liberate them, right? Demons, he said, leave them, and they left. The second is the mental and nervous. Epilepsy is a form of, a, it's a medical disorder where people suffer from seizures. However, when it comes to mental, the King James Version kind of like translated this to lunatics, right? To people who were, because at that point in time, they didn't know what the causes of epilepsy were. So they thought, okay, this is something mental, something, if they're crazy, let's bring them so Jesus can heal them, right? And then the last thing is the physical, the physical miracles that he, uh, that he created, that he performed with the paralytics. Now, you need to understand something, guys. There were no hospitals during this time period. There's no CVS or Walgreens where you can go and buy medicine. So you have to understand the idea of a healer, if you remember my math, and all these people coming, it's a large crowd. It's a large following, okay? And God used that medium to bring people to hear what? The gospel, the good news of Jesus, that he's here, that his kingdom, he offers it to us. Now, when, when we read, large crowds followed him, we have to understand something, that following him did not necessarily mean that they were all disciples, okay? You have to realize that many people, and throughout Jesus' ministry, many people came to Jesus for what he can do, but not for who he was. They came to Jesus for what he can do, but not for who he was. And don't think this is just something of the New Testament. This happens today in 2021. Many people come to church and come to God to see what God can do for them. Instead of coming to church or learning about the word because of who God is and how he deserves our need to be bowed to him. How he deserves our lives to be surrendered to him. This is very key that you know this. Now, the authentication needed to take place so that not only he was authenticated, but his words would also hold value to those who would hear and follow. I'm not saying that Jesus couldn't have preached this before. He could have. He probably did. But... We, the first recorded sermon that the greatest preacher that ever lived and the greatest sermon ever given is recorded now. So when he says that Jesus was teaching and proclaiming the gospel of God, he could have had this sermon and parts of the sermon. We'll just leave that up to, you know, to, up to for guess. But we do know that he is going to preach it now. He's going to deliver the best sermon ever. No pressure on me to try to, you know, I'm just explaining what God and the Holy Spirit was trying to say at that moment in time. And that's what we're doing here today, okay? But yes, Jesus is the greatest preacher of, of all eternity, of all time. And he gave this awesome message that we're also going to look at. So part one was the ministry in Galilee, the miracles, authenticating who he was, the son of God. And now it's going to validate not only who he is, but that's also going to validate his message. And that message begins with the Beatitudes. The Sermon on the Mount. Okay? The Sermon on the Mount. If you see here, 
Um, this, this is where the Mount of Beatitudes is located. This is where Jesus gave his sermon. Before he taught here, it was just a mountain, but Jesus made it famous, right? Um, this is Capernaum over here, Bethsaida. Um, just to give you an idea, this is an up-close uh, picture of this, okay? That's the setting. Uh, up until this point, Matthew has been quiet for the actual message that Jesus was teaching, other than the gospel. So Matthew records the Lord's foundational truths of the kingdom that he came to proclaim in this powerful message, in this powerful sermon. A commentator writes, Franz Artis says, it is a manifesto setting out, it, it is a manifesto setting out the nature of life in the kingdom of heaven. So repent, the kingdom is near. Now let me teach you about this kingdom. Let me tell you about this kingdom. You have to realize, what's the context of this kingdom? Because a lot of the Jews, they expected a political leader, savior, that would come to save them from the oppression of the Romans. The Romans had conquered Israel. They were under the dominion of the Romans. And if you look at the Old Testament, they're always in control of themselves, and then because of their sin and rebellion, another country, another town, another civilization comes and conquers them. God liberates them, and then they... Again, fall into idolatry and the things of the world, and then God, and this is their back and forth. But in their, in their um, past, they know that there's a prophecy of a Messiah that would deliver them forever, right? That they would have a king that would deliver them from the Romans. And not only that, they would not only be delivered from the Romans, but they would become the world power. This is what these people were thinking. So when Jesus starts talking, they're like, hold on a second. What's going on here? Where, where is the... Where, is the, uh, where are the horses and where's your army and wh where are the weapons, right? Think about it. I'm not saying that the disciples uh, left what they did to see what they, oh, the Messiah. Oh, okay, maybe I'm going to get something out of this. Maybe when he is king and he's going to need governors and leaders, I, I'm, I'm, I'm here, right? At the beginning, that was probably their idea. But when Jesus starts saying, hold on a second, the kingdom that I'm going to talk to you about today is not a kingdom of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's a, it's, the message of the king is one that focuses on the internal rather than the external. Spiritual and moral rather than physical or political. So we find no politics or social reform. So let's begin with Matthew 5, verses 1 through 2. It says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. So the crowds that are mentioned here are the ones that we just mentioned, the ones that came from all over. Um, and when he says, he went up to the mountain after he sat down, when he, when, what that means is that that's the traditional position of a rabbi before he would speak. Whether it be a synagogue, whether it be in a, at any location where a rabbi were to teach, he would sit down and speak. And then, when he says, after he sat down, his disciples came to him, it wasn't just his 12 disciples, okay? It was much more. People who wanted to be associated with Jesus were, were there. People who were wanting to see what Jesus can do for them were there. But in a cross-reference, Luke, in a parallel passage in Luke 6, 17, it says, a large crowd of his disciples, as well as a great number of people, were there. So, not necessarily his 
specific disciples, but those that wanted to be associated with Jesus were there to hear this message. And verse 2 says, He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, This is basically a common colloquialism introducing a message that's very important or solemn, all right? Where it says, And he opened his mouth and began to teach. Let's not forget who's preaching, right? This is the greatest preacher of the world, right? The greatest sermon ever told. And there's something particular that he's doing here. He is speaking on his own authority. All the things that he's about to say right now, he is saying it from his own authority. Why is that weird for the Jews? Why would that be weird if I were to do, hey guys, this is our sermon today, and I'm just going to tell you what I think, and this is what I think we should do. Why, how would that be weird? Yes? Don't they think it's blasphemy? Blasphemy because? He's, they don't think he's God. No. In, in a regular message, if I start telling you stuff like, hey guys, you know, uh, you know, start giving you, I don't know, quotes of living life and telling you guys that's true, all right? You know, make sure that, you know, you want to be successful, you got to wake up at four in the morning and everybody up four in the morning better be waking up and, and, and doing that. And, and you know why it's important? Because I say so. What's lacking? What am I lacking here? Authority. Authority from where? Um, um, like he's not, he wasn't a rabbi. No, no. Yes? Okay, but how do they know that? Where do they get that from? The Torah. The Torah, yes, the Bible. So every time a rabbi would speak, he would use the Bible. Guys, please, every time we speak, don't you see we're here with the Bible? I mean, like, we take our time, hours and hours of the week, to dissect every word, to make sure that what we're teaching you is not what we think is what the Holy Spirit intended it to be. Okay? Never never take anything from my opinion. Trust me. Nothing. I, I speak from the authority of the word. Now, Jesus is God. He was speaking from his own authority. But the Jews there were like, we're used to have somebody quoting something where he gets this from. Where is he getting all this from? Right? So, what were the Beatitudes, right? It's a, it's a term derived from Latin, referring to a state of happiness. To be happy is not a superficial feeling or of well-being based on circumstances, but a deep supernatural experience of contentment based on the fact that one's life is right with God. So, he's saying, you want to be happy here on earth? And on the kingdom when it comes, don't live a life that you want to live for yourself. Live a life that honors God, and you will be happy. Because what, what does the world teach us? The world says you're happy if you're rich, noble, success, you're a macho, the, you're glamorous, you're popular, the famous, the aggressive, right? Well, that seems kind of weird with the message that Jesus is giving here that we're going about to read, Right? His kingdom is not of this world, it's of heaven. His way of happiness is the only way of happiness, and it's a much different route than what we're used to. Because by our standards, things like humility, mourning, desire for being good and being righteous, giving mercy to those who don't deserve it, 
being persecuted, I don't know about you, but that is in my mind of this world doesn't mean that it's like happiness. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be persecuted for your name. I'm going to be happy. Yeah, I'm going to give mercy to somebody who doesn't deserve it. I'm going to be happy. It's paradoxical, meaning it contradicts, right? You saw you would think. Jesus is saying, your kingdom is different than my kingdom. My kingdom is spiritual, and it's different. And the way to be happy in my kingdom is to be right with God. Amen? You can turn on the light for me, somebody, if you can. If not, the worst. All right. So what's the first beatitude? Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Guys, clearly, it's not about finances. Finances about the wallet, okay? It's about the condition of the spirit. How many of you were at church on Sunday? How many of you heard the awesome 10-minute preaching that Dusty gave? This is exactly what he talked about. The poor in spirit is to recognize that one's spiritual poverty is apart from God. You're lost, you're hopeless, you're helpless. Apart from Jesus Christ, we're spiritually destitute. It doesn't matter your education. It doesn't matter your wealth. It doesn't matter your, your position in society. You need to recognize who you are before the Lord. Remember the Pharisee? I thank you, God, that I'm not like them. I fast, and I give to the poor, and I do this. And the tax collector in the corner barely can look up to God, hitting his thumb on the chest. Lord, forgive me, the sinner. I ask you, how do you see yourself before a holy God? How do you see yourself before a holy God? What, why do you think people bow their knee before a holy God? Because they know their spiritual condition. They know that they're poor. They know that without Him, they're nothing. They know that can, they, don't, they cannot bring anything to God. We cannot bring anything to God. Our best of works are considered filthy rags before Him. But what is He saying? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Guys, Hear me out here. Hell is full of good people. Heaven is filled with sinners that bow their knee to Christ and recognize who he was and they could not bring anything before him. You see, don't, doesn't that make, like, isn't that great news? Come on, think about it. The good news of God is that it doesn't depend on us. It depends on Him. That's great news. That's the best news you can ever hear in your life. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God gladly chose, He, he gladly chooses to give His kingdom to those who humbly come to Him and trust in Him. In giving up their own kingdom, and giving up your own kingdom, the poor in spirit inherit God's kingdom. Blessed are those who see themselves as in need of a Savior, because they will have one. Verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, 
for they shall be comforted. Right? What are they mourning for? Right? This is in connection to what we just mentioned. Guys, you're mourning. You're truly recognizing your sin before God, and you mourn. It's not about all those who mourn because they just had somebody killed in their family and they're mourning. They're going to have a good day one day or they have a bankruptcy or they don't have a job right now and they're mourning for a death of a family. He's not saying that. He's saying, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who know their condition before a holy God. Blessed, blessed, blessed are those who know that they need this Savior. For what? For they shall be comforted. And guys, it's not the mourning that blesses, but the comfort God gives to those who mourn in a godly way. See, God will give you comfort. He knows that you're a sinner, and He knows what you feel before Him. But the great thing about our God is that He's also a loving God. He's a holy, just God that demands the most respect from us, that demands that we bow our knee, that demands we live a life of righteousness that honors Him, but He's also a holy, loving God. That He loves you. He's a personal God. Personal, that wants to have a relationship with you. We know that Paul, in, in Romans, calls Him Abba Father, Daddy, Papa. See, today's society is they, they focus too much on the loving God, right? And they forget about the holy God. And the other extreme is only focusing on the holy God and not knowing that the house of God is love. you got to maintain the balance. He is holy but loving. Holy enough for you to bow your knee, but loving enough to say, I know you, you're going to mess up, and I get it, but I'm still going to love you regardless. Because it's not about you, it's about me. And I'm, he's going to comfort you. Blessed are the Gentile, verse 5, gentle or meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The gentle or meek. Oh, let me see. There you go. If you want to follow along. Guys, I want you to know something. The word meek is not the poor, the humble, the guy. It, it, the word meek is somebody who is very powerful. What does that mean? Okay. This is what a meek person is. They are powerful but have the maturity and grace to use their power for constructive rather than destructive purposes. Have you ever heard the term, the meek horse wins the race? Oh, I didn't hear it either until I studied it. I'm not into race, horse racing either. But what they're saying is that the meek horse wins the race. The horse that has all that brute strength and speed, but is able to be coached, is able to have guidance, is able to use it, channel. And then look at, look at what the Bible says about Moses in Numbers 12, 13, that he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. You think this means weakness? Come on, guys. Imagine the personal strength it took to take, I don't know, maybe a million people on a 40-year camping trip, here we're struggling with a couple of you when we go Wednesday, uh, uh, Friday night to Denton. You guys running off in the lake at night without telling nobody. You better not do it again because you're going to tell your parents. 
But come on, without technology, you you think that was weak? He's the meekest person in the world, yet he was strong enough and to do what he did. Right? So the Bible is saying, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who have all these gifts and talents that are not prideful, but use it in a beneficial way for my kingdom, is what Jesus is saying. The inheritance of the earth looks ahead to the reward in the coming kingdom reign with Christ, which will be the grand climax of history. So a lot of these blessings are in the present, but a lot of them are the ones to come in the future kingdom. Okay. Verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Guys, this reference of hunger and thirst is also another characteristic given to clarify that the kingdom that he was speaking about was a spiritual one rather than an earthly one. I don't know about you, but do you, do you understand the concept of thirst and hunger for righteousness? What does that mean? You thirst and you hunger righteousness. When you're thirsty, right? When you are playing sports and you're sweating, you really want a cold glass of water or whatever or Gatorade, that feeling of thirst. Or when you're hungry and you haven't eaten, and I don't know if you've ever done intermittent fasting, but I or, yeah. or one meal a day, and you're like, by the time it's the next 24 hours, you're just hungry. That type of feeling, but for righteousness. I don't think I've experienced hunger and thirst for righteousness. Like, I want righteousness, but do I thirst for it? Am I hungry for it? And not only in my life, but my surrounding world, it's funny because when we were younger, our parents said, oh, the world that you're going to live in, right? And then their parents, oh, the world that you're going to live in. And then we as parents, the world that you're going to live in. And then you as, and then, but the world's always been bad. It's always been bad. It's been actually worse in the past. For God to regret making humanity in the ark. Imagine the wickedness of man that he had to flood the earth. Guys, this is what we see today is nothing compared to in the past. But still, yet, it's, it's strong. The things that I see, the things that I read on the news, I hunger and thirst for righteousness. For one day, that, that shouldn't even be an issue. Unfortunately, I know that in this world, it ain't going to happen. I got to wait for the kingdom. And that, I know that in his kingdom, it will happen. Okay? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Number one. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So, if we're going to be kingdom servants, we got to reflect the heart of our king. And what is the heart of our king? What is the heart of Jesus? All of those things. Are All of those things, but specifically in this, what we're talking about, mercy. There's things that, you know, about God that, like, Brandon was teaching about, there's some things that we just don't understand in our humanity, we will never comprehend. Those are, that's one thing, mercy, right? A holy God forgiving us again and again and again and again and again. The fact that he sent his son to die for us, knowing that we would not be perfect, knowing that we would continue to sin, his mercy 
So, and what is this mercy that we're talking about, right? It says, you shall receive mercy. The reward is not receiving mercy from others. He's not saying, oh, blessed are those who, you know, blessed are those who are merciful for they shall receive mercy. He's not saying, oh, be merciful so you can receive mercy from your peers. No, he's saying be merciful so you can receive mercy from the king. Forgiveness. Showing mercy. If Jesus did it, how... If Jesus forgave us for our iniquities, who are we not to forgive others? Who are we not to extend that mercy? We can go on with examples of talking about this, but this is a theme throughout his Gospels. Just as I gave to you, give to others this mercy. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure can be, pure can be used literally for physical cleanliness. But mostly it means here moral cleansiness and purity. It implies the absence of impurity or filth. Meaning, blessed are the pure in heart. Those that have a pure heart before God. That are not, that it's not undivided. It's not unalloyed. Meaning a perfect element. A perfect pure heart before God. For they shall see God. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. By the way, <laughs> in, in the commentaries, John MacArthur literally has a sermon for each one. Like pages and pages and pages for each one of these. So we only have a couple of minutes, okay? But if you want to dive into this, these Beatitudes and one by one, there's a lot of, there's a plethora of resources out there I'll gladly share with you, okay? But we're just getting the gist of this because of our time constraint, okay? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. It's not with the peaceful. It's not, it's not saying blessed are the ones who are peaceful with others. It's saying blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers. The true model is God's costly peacemaking. God is the ultimate peacemaker. And this quality marks disciples out as a son. Basically, it's not just, oh, I'm called to be peaceful with my neighbors. No, you're called to be a peacemaker as a kingdom citizen. And whatever that looks like. Holding your brothers accountable. Holding your brothers and sisters like from church. Hey, you know, I know that you guys have this fight. And, you know, you gotta you gotta come through and you gotta like get together and talk about it because you know that's not right. You you have Christ in you, you call yourself a believer, you know, you gotta you gotta love each other, you gotta bury each other's burdens, you know, peacemaker, making people uncomfortable. And we're gonna get to why this is caught this causes persecution. There is no uh, DA Carson says this, there is no more godlike work to be done in this world than peacemaking. Verse 10 through 12. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. 
For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is where the paradox comes in. How am I going to be blessed if I'm going to be persecuted? How does that even make sense? Think about it. I want to be blessed. I want to be happy. But I don't think I'm going to be happy in a jail because I'm preaching the gospel. I don't think I'm going to be happy when co-workers are making fun of me because of my Christian beliefs. I don't think I'm going to be happy when everyone is going and doing certain activities after work and I'm not the only one and I'm not doing it because I'm a Christian. They're going to laugh at me. They're going to make me feel uncomfortable. How is that going to make me happy? Remember, our kingdom, his kingdom is not of this world. Yes. You will be happy because you will eternally prosper in the kingdom of heaven. And yes, and that's where I'm going. That the, the idea is, the blessing is that you do that here now. The blessing is that you will be in the kingdom of heaven for eternity. My next point is, remember when we talked about Philippians in 128? Go, go, turn your Bibles to Philippians 128. And in no way be alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and this too from God. Guys, you know who will be persecuted for Jesus? You know who will? Don't raise your hand. This is not that type of question. This is, you know the type of person who will be persecuted? A true believer. A true believer will experience persecution. Therefore, it's a sign for him to know that he's saved. A faith believer will not go through persecution. A faith believer will not stand for the things of Christ. A faith believer will not stand for the name of Jesus because the Holy Spirit does not live in them. And because they don't live in them, they're, they're not going it, to... It comes and goes. True persecution is a sign that you're saved. That's what, that's, what, that's what Paul is telling the Philippian church. That's what Jesus is telling us. You want to know that you're saved? You want to know that, that, that you're going to heaven one day? Do you, that thirst and hunger for righteousness, does that come out? And, and, and when, when the world is going this way, you decide to go the other way no matter what it costs? Think about it. A lot of you are right now experienced semi-in-school with different ideologies that you stand up against, are you willing to stand up against the things of God? Not that he, he doesn't need us to defend him, but that hunger and thirst for righteousness, you, it just comes out. It just comes out that you want to defend the things of God. You want to defend the things of the Bible. You get righteously angry when they call Jesus things that they're not supposed to, when they offend your Savior. Regardless, all of you will eventually work one day. At one point in your life. And you will have colleagues that are not believers. And you will have colleagues that live a lifestyle that, you're, that, that is totally against the Bible. What are you going to do when it comes to those situations? 
Are you going to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Are you going to stand for God's truth? Or are you going to be quiet and give in to the world? Guys, and we're blessed that we live in this country. We are blessed that we're not persecuted for our beliefs. There are people in other parts of the world right now that by just mentioning the name of Jesus, they're going to jail. A true believer cannot, will not deny Jesus in front of anybody. A couple of years ago in Nigeria, people killing in front of their families deny Christ. If you do, we won't kill your family. If you don't, we'll kill people dying like this. And you think to yourself, how do they have the, the courage or the strength to do so? Because it's the Holy Spirit that lives in them. Because they're true believers. Would it, could it come to a point in our country where we experience some sort of persecution? Without a doubt. I don't, you know, be ready for it. It's, it's nothing to, you know, not to scare you, but it's good to prepare. Where are, you, where are you? If in the little things, are you faithful? Will you be faithful in the big? Right? Will you be faithful in those big circumstances and trials that come? It's like, think about it this way. You know why a hero is a hero? Every time you read history, you would say, oh, I would have saved the Jews. I would have been, a, I, I, I would have, I would have saved them. Right? It's a very easy to say it now because we weren't living there. But why were there few heroes? Because those people literally gave their, they knew that if they were caught, they were going to die. Few people, few people are the ones in history where you consider those as heroes. The Holocaust survivor heroes, I think, think all these people. It's very easy to say, oh yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to deny Christ. It's very easy to say that now. But when the moment comes... Just think about it. So your profession of Jesus demands a living, living a righteous life. Therefore, you will be persecuted. Those who profess Christ, but their actions show differently, will most likely not endure persecution. And then he ends it like this. Just like the prophets were persecuted because they were faithful to God, the disciples will be persecuted, uh, persecuted because they're faithful to Jesus. The prophets were, were persecuted because they were faithful to God. We'll probably be persecuted because we're faithful to Jesus. So what do we do with this? With God's holy word and his message, his great message for us today. For number one, if you haven't personally repented, and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your only source for salvation. Don't leave this meeting today without doing so. Remember, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Look at yourself and your condition before a holy God. You, are, you need to see yourself as a sinner in need of a savior. You're never going to be good enough. You're not good enough. You need a savior. The good news is that he's offering the kingdom to you. But only if you bow your knee to him. If you put your faith in him and he becomes your Lord and Savior. A lot of people love the Savior part. Oh yeah, he's my Savior. But they don't want to deal with the Lord part. It's repent and believe. They go hand in hand. God is love, but he's also just. They go hand in hand. It can't be one without the other. 
I urge you, if you have any questions about this, please talk to any of the leaders after this, after our, after our meeting, and we'll talk. But this is important. This is your eternity. Give away your kingdom and accept his kingdom. If you're a believer, it's a good reflection time. It's a good reflection of being a kingdom citizen. Are we reflecting those qualities? Maybe not to the perfection because we're not perfect. Are we striving to reach those qualities? Do we see ourselves as sinners in need of a Savior? Do we mourn for our condition? Are we pure in heart? Are we merciful? Are we gentle in all areas of our lives? Are we peacemakers? These are the citizens of this kingdom. This is what Jesus is saying. These are, this should be reflected in our lives if we profess to be Christians, if we profess to be believers, if we profess to be Christians. These qualities have to be in our lives. They have to see. People have to see us and say, yeah, yeah, I see that in him. I see that in him. Not to perfection because we're sinners. Still, we need a Savior. That's why we're sinners. But it's a different life when the Holy Spirit indwells in you and convicts you and moves you to live with these qualities. To test ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Paul clearly tells it many times. You know, our prayer as leaders, we want you to be saved. We don't want you to be a goat thinking you're a sheep. We want all you to be sheep. Matthew 7, read it and you'll understand what I'm saying. Are you prepared for persecution? It's a good and honest question. And it starts very subtle. And you look at history and the history of the world, you look at every time there's persecution, it's not full-blown one day to the next. It's very gradual. And I'm not saying that we need this, you know, freedom of religion in our country. It's great. But God doesn't need it to expand his kingdom. It's a blessing that we have it, but God doesn't need it. Your idea is not, oh, we should save America. For, we, we should save the world with the gospel. That's our, that's our mentality. That we have religious liberty, thank God that we do. But the day we don't, it doesn't depend on that. God's kingdom, God's church does not depend on that. It depends on him. And for some reason, churches grow through persecution. You see it in the Bible, in Acts, how they're spread. You see it in China right now. One of the growest, fastest growing Christian churches is in China. Are we ready for this? To, to be hungry and thirsty for his righteousness, to stand on the truths of God, no matter the consequences, even if the consequences are ridiculed by a professor in college or by a teacher or by a friend. Stop practicing with them. See what that feels like. See what that rejection feels like. Feels good. Bad at it, but it feels like, man, God, you know, it's... it's not the least I can do for you because you don't need it, but it feels good to, to stand on God's truth and share it with the world, even if it costs you your professional career or, or, or your acquaintances in college or your friends. And, and, by, and by the way, don't, don't be afraid because regardless, if persecution does come, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will be with us and he will be strengthening us to persevere that. So it's not on our strength anyways. Amen.
Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this awesome word. We give you thanks for your, your, your message that you gave 2,000 years ago. And it's still talking to us today. It's still telling us about your kingdom and the qualities of a true kingdom citizens and the blessings that we can receive and the happiness that we can receive here on earth if we obey them, if we live by them. Help us, Father, see our condition as poor before you as help us mourn father help us know our condition before a holy god help us be merciful help us be gentle help us be peacemakers help us be pure of heart let us be good representatives of your kingdom here on earth let us preach the gospel let us preach this message to the world thank you for the youth that are here i pray that this word father that you've taught us today can, can be in our lives and holy spirit that you can illuminate it you can make it real in our lives that we can meditate on it lord and we can really understand it god we love you father and in your name we pray amen, amen. thank you alejandro